0: Welcome to a very special episode of Punches and Popcorn The show where we dive into the best, the worst, the history and the science of martial arts film Today we're officially kicking off our first big adventure Our first season Once upon a time in the 80s for the first time ever, we're bringing you a curated season of episodes, exploring some of our favorite fight films from the decade we are all born in, the 1980s. And guys, I hope you don't feel that I have exposed you. I feel like we're all open for how old we are. So while some of our younger listeners may think of this as an ancient decade, this is the decade right at our the center of our hearts. I am your host, Michael Huntone, And with me kicking off Once Upon a Time in the 80s is our genius. Jason, the Schlockinator Bills.
1: I'm happy to be here, boys. Uh, excited to talk about this movie. This was a, a big one for me back in the late 80s, early 90s.
0: And of course, our own professor, Dr. Dom Poe, the Dominator, Domore. So my students refer to the
2: 80s as the late 20th century. <laughs> <laughs> we are born in the late 20th century.
1: <laughs> uh-huh. We should be archived,
0: that. guys. This way we are. That's how old we are. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's honestly a more gracious way than I once heard my kids describe it as. Back in the 1900s, and I almost <laughs> died, and then my children almost died. So. But that's it. We're owning it. This is us. Uh, tonight, again, we're officially beginning our new season, Once Upon a Time in the 80s. Um, and we thought that we would kick this journey off with the man, our hero, the Muscles from Brussels, Jean-Claude Van Damme in 1989's Kickboxer. Guys, is there any other way we could have started a punches and popcorn season about the 80s? Yeah, with Bloodsport, but we already did it. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Well said.
2: (laughs) Touche. I'm going to compare the two a lot today, so I'm just
1: going to get it out there right now. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot
0: of comparisons
1: to be made here.
0: Well, as you mentioned, we did Bloodsport. Jason, I think you once told us that Jean-Claude Van Damme is the martial arts star, at least at one point, that we had covered the most. And, spoiler alert, this won't be the only movie of his we cover this season. So, genius, schlock apologist extraordinaire Jason Bills, please get this episode and this season started with some cutting-edge knowledge from the gospel, the gospel of the guillotine. Genius,
1: genius.
0: I'm a genius. He's geniusy. Wildy coyote,
1: super genius.
0: Was it you, genius? You little genius, you.
2: Being a genius
0: certainly
1: has its advantages. All right. So um, this will be our third movie we cover with Van Damme, but actually um, we'll be do we'll have a fourth very soon here if we're talking chronology. Um, but anyways not to spoil anything coming forward in this season. Uh, I wanted to kind of give some background on Van Damme since he clearly is a, a big influence on all three of us. Uh, so I wanted to kind of give his backstory uh, and it'll, it'll go quickly. So uh, he was born in 1960 in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, his actual birth name was Jean-Claude Camille Francois Van Vanderberg, which isn't as you know easy to roll off the tongue as Jean-Claude Van Damme. So he upgraded there with, with the name. So early in his childhood, around the age of 10, his father enrolled him in a Shotokan karate school because he was kind of being bullied. Uh, he said he was kind of like a geeky kid um, and not physically gifted at all a- at the time. By the age of 18, he had earned his black belt. He was all in on the martial arts. He also, in his teenage years, took up ballet, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. At the um, His mother thought he should, he should get into that. And, you know, it's just interesting because... You know, you would think ballet would, I don't know, maybe it's just different uh, in Belgium, but I don't know, like the, the contrast of martial arts and ballet is weird. But he was all in. He, he studied intensely with ballet for five straight years and, you know, became pretty prolific at it. <laughs> and um, he also said that like a ballet workout was almost just as intense or more intense than any martial art he's ever done. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting note in his, in his past. He also got into bodybuilding to, to build his muscles and he was actually named Mr. Belgium in the early seventies, which I thought was kind of cool. Other uh, things he trained in like martial arts wise, he, he did a uh, Taekwondo, Muay Thai, kickboxing. So, you know, a pretty, you know, all around type of martial arts guy by the late seventies, he garnered a lot of attention. Um, for his martial arts and got a loan to open his own gym in Brussels. And the reason I bring this up is because, uh, the name, what he named the gym was kind of like, uh, you know, like he was looking to the future in this Brussels gym, he called the California gym, uh, (laughs) focused on karate, (laughs) dancing, aerobics, and bodybuilding. So it was a little bit of everything. Um, (laughs) wow. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? And, um, at that point, again, this was late seventies, he'd make the move to America in the early eighties, like 1982. He, Wanted to be in movies basically, and you could tell that what he named his gym. His dad thought he was crazy, he was making fifteen thousand dollars a month with this gym, like it was a huge success, but he was ready to abandon it all to get in to get to Hollywood and make making those movies. So in 1982, he moved with his friend to Hollywood, Michael. I think it's pronounced Kesey, aka Tong Po, which I thought was cool. Yeah, they they moved together to uh this, this country and tried to be actors in Hollywood, and they both uh immediately got cast as extras in the movie breakin a breakdance movie which is kind of again like looking to the future this is a canon film so that's sort of his you know his home for his biggest hits in the late 80s so he's already with canon at that point also breakin and breakdancing does this foreshadow his excellent dancing in this movie uh kickboxer which we're going to talk about shortly
0: <laughs> oh i don't i don't know if that's an important thing to talk about with this movie we'll see <laughs>
1: And to wrap things up so we can actually uh, hear you two gentlemen talk about Van Dam, he somehow, again, I'm, I'm not sure how this happened. He became good friends with Chuck Norris at this time. Uh, they became sparring partners. Norris gave him a job as a bouncer in his bar. He also did like odd jobs, limousine driver. He was a personal trainer. In I think it's interesting. So he's in Hollywood in 1982. You know. Bloodsport doesn't hit till eighty eight. Like he's grinding. Like he's trying. Like he's doing odd jobs. Like it's not just an instant success story. Like he he would show up to like casting calls. Like he, you know like that's how he got the job, uh, with no retreat, no surrender. Is he was just in a line of actors trying to get a role in that film. So the man worked to get to where he was. Eventually Norris cast him. Like he would just give him odd jobs. Like he was a, uh, a stunt man on Missing in Action in, in the eighties and other eighties. Oh really? Uh, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of interesting too. Anyways, then we want to quickly talk about, as an aside, the predator incident. So this was sort of his <laughs> yes. yeah, his first kind of—this was 87 by now. Still not Blood Spore 88, which was his big hit, uh, or his his rise to stardom happening there. So they cast him because they wanted, like, an agile ninja-like predator in that suit. So they cast him. He, he hated it. Uh, he quit within a week. Uh, he hated the suit. And when the movie became a hit, they, they reached out to him and he has, he still to this day has no reservations about quitting that film. He's like, I'm happy it was a hit. I just, you know, he said he would pass out in a suit. You know, he was miserable. So it wasn't meant to be, but again, just like the ultimate, like weird fun fact that like our favorite eighties action movie, like Van Damme might have been in that, but in a suit, which is fascinating. (laughs) All right. So 1988, his big break, Bloodsport. Um, He says at this point in his career or pre-career, he was literally homeless stealing food. I don't know, you know, maybe that's like mythologizing, but, you know, he said like it was it was dire times. Bloodsport didn't have a huge budget. It was like one point five million. So they didn't have money for stars. The producer mark desale said that they were looking for a martial arts star like a new upcoming martial arts star again quoting here was a ladies man appealed to both men and women an american hero who fights for justice and the american way and kicks the stuffing out of bad guys so that's how they ended up with that, giving van damme that lead so um that takes us to Kind of now. We talked about Bloodsport and now we gotta talk about his his next big hit, Kickboxer.
0: Jay was remind me, is Kickboxer his next movie after Bloodsport or was Cyborg in between those two?
1: So Cyborg 89, same year as Kickboxer. So they're kind of Not one in the same. But so this Not was sure. in theory his his second film, but you could say cyborg was too.
0: Thank you, Jason. Awesome, awesome information there. I love that tidbit about him as Predator. I know we talked a little bit about that in the Bloodsport episode. Dom had forwarded a really funny YouTube video where some of the the Predator producers or people on it talk about his short time on set, so I'll make sure we put that on the socials. Make sure you're following us at Punches and Popcorn on X, Threads, uh, TikTok, whatever. Anyways, (laughs) so, this 1989 Kickboxer does really represent a return to our roots in Punches and Popcorn. Because not only is it a Jean-Claude Van Damme classic, but it's another story about revenge, martial arts competition, broken bones, and the unforgettable music of Stan Bush. We covered Bloodsport in our third episode of the show, as Dom mentioned, so it felt necessary for me to kick off the season about 80s movies with Jean-Claude Van Damme's other classic from that decade. Both of them are pretty iconic. Jason, Dom, I'm interested. And before we kick into kickboxer, just what out of the two, what is your favorite? <laughs> really?
2: <laughs>
0: really? This is, this is gonna be easy.
2: Um, yeah, it's Bloodsport. Easy. Blood, when so just a reminder so if you haven't listened to our blood sport episode you should listen to it i think it's one of our best ones so yeah it's one of our better episodes i think even for the early ones and uh when i started this when i was um, how can i put this uh head for this podcast you know, one of the first questions was, what's your favorite martial arts movie? And everyone's like, Shaw Brothers movie or Master of the Flying Guillotine or something like old school kung fu. And I'm like, Bloodsport, easy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Bloodsport is better than this one. And I think the reason, and, and I watched this movie when it came out. Like maybe a couple of years after it came out. I didn't watch it in the theaters. I was nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I watched it maybe when I was like 11. Because I think I was old enough to handle it because it's R-rated, I believe. Yeah, it's Um, R-rated. I don't check anymore. (laughs) I'm a (laughs) grown-up. Yeah, so I watched it now. Um, So I watched it when I was 11. And I watched snippets of it getting older. And I watched it now. And I think what makes it worse than Bloodsport is two things. One, there's not as much fighting. Mm -hmm. And two, the plot is really dumb. Like like it's 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 I hate to say it. I hate to say it. So the plot of Bloodsport is is just great. The you know, it's just fighting, fighting, fighting in the underground fight club thing and Yeah, you can't go wrong with
1: a tournament movie. Yeah, it's it's tournament
2: tournament movie. This movie has a fair amount of moving parts Mm -hmm. and character motivations that I feel are 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 silly. Um, and I'm not, yeah. Okay. So, so, yeah, we'll so I'm it. just going to, we'll get into it for sure. Okay. Okay. Cause I'm going to jump in. So like as a grown-up who's watching the movie in a critical way and not necessarily a critical way, but in an analytical way for this podcast, I was like, Ooh, come on now. And also there's another thing, like as someone who does martial arts, there's a couple things where I'm like, what? No, why? No. You know? So we'll bring those up. So, so like, I feel like this is. This movie is great for 14-year-olds in the late 80s, (laughs) early 90s, because they're not going to think about the details, and they're just going to be like, I want to have muscles like Jean-Claude Van Damme. I want to kick ass just like Jean-Claude Van Damme. Tongpo is... Dance moves. Monolith... Dance moves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tongpo is monolithically evil. And he's... Yeah. So, like, I feel like this is... It, you know, it, it has a kind of a Zack Snyder-y feel to it, where, like, just don't think about it too
0: much, and <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, how about you, Jay? Where where does this, between in the battle of Bloodsport versus Kickboxer, who stands on top for you?
1: I'm right with Dom. Just a little less harsh towards Kickboxer. Um, definitely a rewatch hurts my memories uh, <laughs> quite a bit. The, but, but this is, like, was... You know, like people have memories of like when they went on vacation with their family, like, oh, remember when we went to like this is like what I have memories of movies. So this was like a, a random Sunday night. I was supposed to go to bed, but I had a TV in my room. I was a young gangster um, and this was some reason on TV. And and I was up to like 1 a.m. watching it like no concern. This movie was a brain melter for me at the time. I know I think I say that about all the movies we cover, but this was substantial for forming my movie taste and movie habits so uh, it's very uh special place in my heart but it cannot compare to Bloodsport.
0: yeah i'll say so if you asked me before we started the show like before punches and popcorn was a thing just going off of straight memory i would actually probably tell you that kickboxer was my favorite entirely because the what we will definitely talk about the ancient way fight was so seared in my brain and yep. partially, I know I mentioned this in the Bloodsport episode. It also always makes me think of the scene from Hot Shots Part Two, yes! where I was gonna bring that his, up. where he's dipping, and we'll talk about where he's dipping his hands in in like Sunday stuff, right? So yeah, it's just like gummy so bears. iconic, right? So good. But yeah. having like using the excuse of the show to go back when we first started and watch Bloodsport again and talk about it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, that definitely has the edge, right? It's, it's a cleaner story. Uh, we don't get the star power of Force Whitaker in there randomly, like, as much as we'll t- <laughs> yes. I do really enjoy Taylor in this. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, Force Whitaker, come on. And it's just, again, our patron saint, Bolo Young, it does not have that. Uh, and, again, Chong Lee is probably, while Tong Po may be the most evil villain, and that's something I want to discuss later in the episode. Chung Lee is definitely to me. He is the most iconic. He's he's massive in size and in personality. So yeah, Bloodsport gets gets the edge. But uh, again, kickbox it was still a lot of fun, and I'm excited to get into it. So without further ado, let's do it. Let's jump into 1989's kickboxer. All right, so our story begins where we get to meet our heroes, the Sloan brothers, Kurt and Eric the Eliminator. Uh, We learned quickly some important things about Kurt, including the immediate excuse for Jean Claude's accent, and Eric. (laughs) Especially that Eric is a major talent in the world of American kickboxing, and a major league prick. As the brothers travel to the home of kickboxing, Thailand, we get to see a lot of sights of the city where the movie takes place, and lots of smugness from Captain Kickboxing America as he prepares to fight the Thai champ tong po. All right, I'm jumping in here. <laughs> Do
2: it. So, we go. so like so this is where it gets this is where me knowing something about martial arts kind of kills it for me because for for those of you who don't remember what happens First things first, they go, you should go to Thailand the the, the 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 um what call the reporters like, go to Thailand, They're the best fighters in the world. And he's like, we should go to Taiwan. And I'm like, okay, you sound like an idiot. <laughs> oh, then, oh, I forgot about that. And then, <laughs> and then he goes to Thailand with his brother. No gym, no staff nothing he is the american kickboxing world champion he's the iska world champion it's written on his belt i'll talk about that a little later he goes to thailand by himself with no one but his brother and doesn't even know who what the fighter looks like who he's fighting so he doesn't know his reach he doesn't know his style he doesn't know his (laughs) tendencies or any of that and I would like to add, he doesn't know the rule set of nice. the of the fight he's going into. Like, <laughs> how much of an idiot are you my goodness like you know you like for, uh, like boxers and kickboxers and mma fighters they train for a specific fight typically unless it's like one, a quick fight for months knowing exactly <laughs> who their opponent is studying their moves thinking about you know the details and if they're switching leagues they have to incorporate the rule set and then this guy's like nah i got it I'm like, dude, <laughs> you brought a knife to a gunfight. What did you expect to happen? Now, I don't want to say anyone deserves to be a paraplegic, but
0: if anyone does, it's this asshole. <laughs> you know, I will say the only thing I liked about Eric was how much he reminded me of Keith Hernandez in that era. Oh, there is a
2: and, vibe. Ah! Right.
0: And now a little bit like the guitar player from Miami Connection, too, the, the yeah. mustache and mullet vibe. Was that, quality, that was cool. Right? And that,
1: that's about luck, it, I guess.
0: Right, yeah. Jay. How about you? What, what kind of impression did you get of the the Sloane brothers when you first started this movie?
1: So interestingly enough, for me, like when I'm starting this movie again and I haven't seen it in at least a few decades, like I was really worried. I, I really think once they get to Thailand, you know, plot mechanics wise, it's a nightmare. But the movie really <laughs> picks up this. This opening is so like stagnant, and I'm like you know like it it just looks like the the fight in the beginning like it's just a black background you can't see a crowd like obviously budget is a concern but like direction wise like production wise i'm like this is really bad now having said that i'm gonna start defending this movie once we get to thailand but yeah i was really (laughs) worried and should we mention that um the actor that is playing the brother alex sloan uh is dennis alexio i think he was actually uh some type of like martial arts guy. Like he had a, a champion belt at the time in kickboxing. He yeah. That
2: might've actually been his belt. Like, cause, yeah. cause the, the, the ISKA is written on his belt. That's the international sport karate association. And I think he earned a belt with them. Yeah. Like, I believe he fought Don to dragon Wilson, or at least was in the same league as him. Oh, like really? this, like he's, legit. he's legit.
1: He's legit. Right. Yeah. He's not a great actor though.
2: So so if no one else knows this, I, I kinda I feel like the, the history part is not really my thing, but I'm gonna jump in. Yes, please do he's in jail. What? What right he's now? in uh, j- really? right now. For he what? was yeah. And and <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm right about this because I just glanced at it and I'm like, there's no way these guys don't know this. He's in jail for tax evasion. Fifteen oh years sentence right <gasps> now. Jesus.
1: Fifteen years.
2: Yeah, he's tax evasion. Oh yeah,
1: Mofo's in jail.
2: Wow, wow. I'm sure that... he's not being harassed very much in
0: jail.
1: <laughs> well, he's probably an old man, right?
0: He's uh, 64.
1: Yeah, I don't know if he's yeah. kicking that well at this point.
0: Huh? Yeah, that's crazy.
1: <laughs> wow, that is crazy. a good fact there, Tom.
2: <laughs> now he's Captain Incarceration. No, not like a stint, <laughs> not like overnight. 15 years sentence for
0: multiple. Of, uh charges of tax evasion oh yeah so wow that's amazing dom thank you for yeah. that fact. so you know we get a thunderous introduction to tong po when kurt discovers ahead of the fight that they just might be a little in a little over their head uh which eric doesn't seem doesn't want to hear because he's got a fight to win uh that fight though doesn't exactly go as he expected and I'm not totally sure what he was expecting because that that's what I'm saying.
2: That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> like you don't go into a new league against a fighter, a new fighter and not know anything about it. Like, like it's like it's almost like it, it, I, I understand what they were going for. They were going for the arrogant, arrogant American, American showing up, showing, up. showing up and thinking, you know, John Wayney crap, but right, like, exactly. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't as someone who is, it, I don't want to say I've ever done, I've ever done competition boxing by any means, but like, I've watched enough UFC to know how it works. And like, it doesn't work like this. <laughs> they don't just
0: roll, they're just like roll up and be like, who we find today? Do, 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 like. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like there's that scene where Kurt is walking through like, the, the pre-fights, right? The prelims. Yes. Watching this, just a in, a, like, a five-second glance, and he sees right away, well, this is not what we're used to. And, of course, Eric doesn't want to hear any of that, but it, that was the first time that I'm like, you really don't, like, you just came all the way across the world to fight this, and you have no idea, like, what the
1: rules are here? And there's really cool, like, in terms of, like, storytelling. I feel like the movie doesn't become a movie until kurt sees tong po and he's in his like waiting room or the green room of of the fight and he's like warming up his like knees on the foundation of the building and it's like shaking the, the pillar i'm telling you that is what is perfect setup for a master enemy like i i just love that he's just like oh yeah this this beam in the middle of the room. I'm gonna just warm up on this thing. And he's shaking the foundation of like right. a stadium. I, I I love that detail. And then Kurt runs back to the room and he's like, oh we, we maybe we should rethink this. Like it's so good. <laughs> and I really want to talk about Tung Po a lot because I, I think he's an underrated 80s evil bastard.
2: Let's talk about him. Let's do it. Okay. I think he's awesome. Go Jay
1: <laughs> I, I just I mean the look of him like he's right out of like like a street fighter game like it, it, it I, I can't say enough about this guy, obviously horrible human being We're we're eventually like, he's not villain enough. He has to get into crazy stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, uh, But just the look of him. Also, I, I have so many questions for you, Dom, about um, fighting like his style where he like keeps his hands in the sky. Like, is that a thing? Like, I just love yeah. it so much. He's like, I'm going to completely open my body to you and you can beat on me and I'm still going to just own you. Is that just a Muay Thai thing?
0: I have questions here, and I think this is hopefully what Dom is I'm leading into where you want to go here. So when we get into this fight, as we said, Kurt immediately recognizes this is not what we're
1: used to. Yeah, he's a red he knows some red flags.
0: Right, so when we get into this fight, there's a couple things that stood out to me. Well, one, there's some, like, dance that he's doing before the fight. I don't know if that's, like, something traditional or whatnot. But within the fight, there's a few things, like, right, the hand's out. He, like, grabs Kurt's leg and, like, picks him up. I don't know if this is difference in style or... uh, Because, honestly, between the first fight we see and then here where we see Tong Po... I'm like okay, well, this is kickboxing. I don't know what the hell Eric was doing in that first one. So right. th- I'm hoping that you can I so explain.
2: Let's do this. So so like, keep in mind, um, kickboxing. Kickboxing in general is a hybrid martial art. It it's it, so essentially what you're doing is it's any what it is is it's any full contact ring rule based boxing that also involves kicking. So like, I mean, that's a pretty broad definition. So you can, you know, bring True. in a lot of stuff. So a lot of ancient martial arts and non-ring based martial arts and stuff kind of, kind of bled into the different leagues. And so it's kind of all over the place. Um, but the consistencies are, it takes place in a ring of some sort, right? You it, kickboxing is a boxing ring, of course usually you wear gloves uh, and uh, mouth guard. The other stuff can vary. Now there are stylistic differences, but honestly, it's a lot of it is based on the rule set. So when you have different rule sets that allow for different strikes, and uh, different clinches and stuff that results in changes of how people fight. So it's it's very much like it's very much a sport. Change the rules, and the and the the athletes change their game based on what the rules allow. So, I mean, and there's like a gazillion styles. It started off as um, full contact karate become- going into a ring. So, full contact karate. Mm-hmm. So, like, we we already reviewed Karate Kid and then Karate Kid, you know, right. it's very point-based. You, know, you land a punch, stop, yay, you know. Yeah. And then you have the even more dramatic version of that, which is like Taekwondo, which is where you have to land a punch and it's not exactly, it doesn't exactly have to be even hard. Whereas full contact karate is like... You fight to knock the other guy out using karate. So you put that in a ring and then it starts to evolve into kickboxing. Now there's a gazillion styles of it. Uh, We're only going to talk about the two that represent in the movie, the USA style and Muay Thai. So I'll talk about those two. So the USA uh, style is full contact as all kickboxing is. It started off really getting big under the professional karate association. Which then dissolved and was picked up by the International Sport Karate Association, which oversaw, in theory, the fight that we saw in the beginning because his belt actually said ISKA on it. And it's still around today. Now, the rule set in that is, is a very interesting one. So you wear, you wear like, uh, Hand wraps, you know, like the you know like the box typical American Western style boxers, where you wear boxing gloves. You also wear a mouth guard, mm-hmm. shin pads, like a head wrap thing that that protects your ears, uh, and long trousers, so pants, right? Oh, and boots. Sorry. So so you wear a fair amount of gear in that. And and here's the important thing: you're only allowed to land punches and kicks above the belt. So it's kind of like Western style boxing that allows for kicks everything above the belt that kind of thing right uh no elbows no knees no clinches and no throws and by the way when we say clinches or throws it means when you start to get like tight with the person you can you can wrap your 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 gloves around the back of their neck and you can maneuver them around that's not allowed in the american style so it is limited that don't get me wrong. It's tough. You could you could really the the goal is to knock someone down. So it's still very much full contact, but it's you know the rule set is cut off where it's cut off. Muay Thai, it's not that way. Let's just put it that way. Muay Thai is a very old martial art before it became a sport fighting. It's at least as old as the 16th century, but probably is way older than that. It used to be a barefisted fighting thing, and then what they did is they incorporated the ropes. That's why in um, that's why in the end scene they have the ropes wrapped around the hands. Ropes are rough. That's uh, <laughs> that's a rough way to fight because they're hemp ropes. That can't feel good on your face. What happened is, as more international fighters wanted to to kind of get involved in this, and it became more of a sport fight, they replaced the ropes with gloves. You know, because the ropes hurt your face, yeah. and the, the you know, ouch, right? Um, and then Muay Thai really peep, peaked in popularity in the 90s and it's been taking off ever since. And one of the reasons is is because of the rule set and its relationship with MMA. So the rule set is extremely different, right? Um, you have a lot more flexibility. So it's also entirely full contact, but it is full body, full contact. In fact, in Thailand, not until the eighties, did they get rid of the groin hit? Like you could kick someone in the nuts until like the eighties. <laughs> and in intra, meaning just in Thailand, there are still leagues where you can, where you can hit the groin. Like, yeah. International. They got rid of it for obvious reasons, but like, yeah, they're like, no, nah, you can kick them in the nuts. It's fine. Um, yeah. So, so they don't play around. Oh, <laughs> Punching, elbows, kicking, knees, teep kicks, which are like wow. push kicks, <laughs> and clinches are all allowed. So this is a very, very different thing. So when he's like, what does he say? He's like, he elbowed me or he need me. And I'm like, yeah, dude, it's Muay Thai. Of course he did. Like, yeah. yeah, you could totally do that. So, So, like, this is a huge change in range of rules, right? So you can do a lot more of that contact. And it, it's really taken off uh, for for a couple of reasons. One, it it has the perception of being a very good self defense martial art because it is a lot of latitude here. So you know, if you want to learn a way to fight on the quote on the street, and I have mixed feelings on that term, but anything goes on the street. And Muay Thai has the widest range of um, of boxing style moves that you can incorporate out of old the boxing. Mm right, right. Uh, another thing is MMA so uh modern MMA has a has you know it has rules like it's not <laughs> like the old school UFC but right. it's it's a pretty wide breadth right of rules and Muay Thai nicely fits into that because right. MMA allows for kicks and punches and elbows and knees and all that stuff and Muay Thai does so it's the, the best it's one of the best ones to learn if you want to move into ufc style fighting right and so that's why i say you know this is silly because um that he just he didn't realize that there were like you could have gotten a book out of the library and be like oh watch for the elbow Oh, and and to comment on like the the high hands thing. So the high hands yeah. thing is like this. So um, so a you know, Western style boxer keeps his keeps his hands pretty tight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But like the 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 Muay Thai keep them high. And so that's a stylistic difference. Another thing is they square up more because the style of kick they use in Muay Thai is extremely powerful. What you do is when you throw a roundhouse kick, you pivot on your opposite foot. So it's less of you, the kick itself making the impact and more of your body swinging the leg around. So it's an extremely powerful kick. Yeah, and also another reason to keep the hands high is because one of the better moves is a dropping elbow. So like, you can bring the elbow across, but it also works to bring it down. Okay. And so like, there's, because it's honestly, it's very much molded by its own rules, which changes the things a lot. So yeah, yeah. Also, you notice they don't weave and bob. Ah, okay. Like, you know, like bob and weave, bob and weave. Yeah. Bobbing and weaving is something you do in Western boxing because you don't have knees. But if you bob and weave a lot in Muay Thai and you stay very low, you get a knee to the face. So being yeah. high up and being very high is a, is a safer way of going about it. So I'm not an expert. I did a little Muay Thai um personally speaking if i were to learn a striking martial art again or get into striking martial arts muay thai totally it's awesome it's yeah. a great way to get in shape i mean self-defense wise it's great i think it's an awesome martial art i, I love it i i, I yeah. cannot praise that martial art as far as striking is concerned high enough i think it's
1: wonderful. yeah i think too on top of all that you know having no fighting experience on, on my end. Uh, it's so cinematic. Like it just looks fantastic when tongue Po's in that ring and with that imposing stance. Like, it's just like, like it, It like I said, this is when I start believing when I'm watching a movie and being like, okay, I'm invested. Let's see where this goes.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I like that you mentioned or brought up the difference between, between the stances. Cause like the one martial art per se that I do have experience in is Western boxing. Um,
2: It's a martial art. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't care what anyone says. Um, Western boxing is a martial art. You know,
0: that was like the first thing that my trainer drilled into me. Like, the, uh, you know, it's the stance. And for us, it's the, uh, you know, the goal is generally you want to keep your fists around your cheeks. And then it's just right. It's, you want those elbows in close to your ribs because it's really your, it's, it's all blocking, right? That you're in the best position to block the face, the face or the midsection. But you're right. The only thing you're defending against is the other guy's hands, not even like the elbows or any of that. So, so it makes sense why uh, I can't. I mean, it was tough enough just defending from someone's hands. I can imagine throwing elbows, knees, shins, and feet into it too. Yeah, I don't know, but it's really cool to watch. Also,
2: and also another thing to bring up, and I don't want to derail the whole conversation, but um, blocking that kick, the way you block it is with your shin. Oh, so okay. you actually defense defend against the kick with your legs it's called a check gotcha. so what happens is tong po or any any fighter what they'll do is in order to block the roundhouse kick or any kick from the side is they will raise up their knee and they have the person kick their shin right and that's how they block it so if you're all hunched over and stuff right. that's going to be very difficult to do and you're going to take a kick to the side whereas if you're standing high then you could raise your leg up and you know, you could block it. Right. So another reason for the stance it's, it's like I said, it's based on the, what the rules allow.
1: Is that why they're always conditioning their shins to be like, uh, I'm just going to like really hurt my shin. So I have some, <laughs> like, it's fascinating. Like when, Van Damme's hit, kicking that uh, tree. Like
0: a... We'll get there. We'll get there.
1: Okay, I'm sorry. I'm just excited to learn.
0: <laughs> we'll get there, yes.
2: All right, let's move on, because I could talk about Muay Thai for a while. I really like it. I think it's a wonderful martial art. It's definitely the one I would learn if I wanted to do striking. So I'm going to stop
0: here. Let's get back to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that helps explain a lot about what we see, and what we see is an absolute freaking bloodbath. And before we know it, we get our own um, – oh, man, and it's so thematic right now, rest in peace, Carl Weathers, because we get a <laughs> – A Rocky IV Apollo Creed moment where Tong Po shows just how evil he is. He doesn't just drop and beat our hero, (laughs) the American champion, Eric Sloan. He delivers a brutal elbow uh, to him, dropping him down and leaving him with what I refer to as an Apollo twitch on the ground while he's laughing. About his victory.
1: By the way, that's not in a rule set.
2: I, I don't want to make it see. sound like everything that you see is legit Muay
0: Thai. There's some dirty fighting in this.
1: Yeah, dropping on the man's <laughs> spine seems
0: not right. Yeah, it was it, it was pretty harsh. And yeah. then left broken and defeated, Eric is literally dumped out in the street like trash. And Kurt discovers they have a friend and ally in Winston Taylor, who helps the brothers get Eric off the street and into a hospital. And again, uh, this part to me emphasized what we talked about, that they had zero planning here. Like he's dumped out in the street and they like he didn't think at all like my brother might get hurt. I might need medical care, uh, even if he wins again, contact sport, (laughs) like no planning. I guess he really thought that he was just going to go in there, win and walk out and fly home or something.
1: And then the movie, what I love about the introduction of Winston is we get some personality to this film. Like, I just love that he's just in the stands or, you know, I guess front row. Right. And and he's like, you know, Van Damme's like, dude, I, I got to get my brother to a hospital. And he's like, the f- I got more fights to watch here. Like, I just love we really needed Winston to show up and just be like just some humor and comedy and some personality in this movie. Because, you know, no one's really like super great at acting so far so i again i'm starting (laughs) even though i feel like i'm putting down the movie i'm saying like this is becoming a movie i'm i'm enjoying this officially and winston's a big reason for that also um again i'm gonna talk over you two all day um did you get vibes (laughs) of joshua in this from lionheart like the same kind of like guy who's friend who's there like but eventually like signs up to be like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna help you out jean-claude like there's a lot of Lionheart connections going on with this movie
0: Good call. So we meet meet Winston. Eric gets to the hospital finally. And with Eric finally in medical care, our hero Kurt discovers that his brother has a long road of recovery ahead of him. As Tom mentioned, he is paralyzed from the waist down, basically. Mm -hmm. But Kurt decides, even though his brother has this long road ahead of him, uh, there's no time for him to waste in getting started down his own road. The Road to Vengeance. And the only way to vengeance is to beat him in a fight. <laughs> he, right, in a he, ring. He just watched his brother get practically eviscerated in a ring by this guy. And his thought is, I'm going to right beat this guy in the ring.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Winston kind of does that. Does the the, you know puts
2: on the plot armor and runs up to him. <laughs> the only way you can get him is in the ring. The only way you can get him is in the ring, oh, okay. in the ring. And John called Van Damme is like, okay. Yeah. As opposed to tell me where he lives. I'm going to go to his house and kill him. Like, no, no, <laughs> in, in the ring. That's how you got to do it. Oh, right. He has that line.
0: That's right. He says, if you go after him outside the ring, we're all dead. All of us. And I'm like, <laughs> how, what does this like? Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Tong Po? Who is this guy? Taylor? And why would him going after him uh, when he says all of us, uh, like uh, the like every American in Bangkok? I guess I, <laughs> the stakes are increased exponentially. So, plot armor, excellent description for it. Uh, and again, at least Kurt recognized what Eric didn't—that my Muay Thai is very different from whatever they were doing. And again, Dom, thank you for explaining that because yes, that I <laughs> I had no clue. So I mean, he sets off... Yeah, quick, go- a quick Google <laughs> made me more well-prepared...
2: For this fight, <laughs> than the world, than the American kickboxing champion. Now, I know Google didn't exist then,
0: <laughs> but you know what? Library, read a kid. book. <laughs> Take a look; it's in a support public. your local library, right, or exactly. you'll get your back exactly. broken. <laughs> exactly. So, so right. So now we get this little gym hunting scene where Kurt goes to find find a gym, and I like it. Looks like he just walks into the first gym he can find and is like, I want you to train me to to beat Tong Po. Mm-hmm. And, and I like the response from everyone, because when I'm watching this, like that was my thought. I'm like, you just walked into the first gym you could find, and you're like, I want to beat this guy. And they basically laugh him out of the place. I mean, that, that would be the equivalent to me, like, at the same time, in the late 80s, of walking into just, like, the first boxing gym you see, and you're like, I need to learn boxing to beat Mike Tyson. Like, <laughs> well, honestly, even now, I am very confident that even now in 2024, uh, I could train as long as I want, Mike Tyson would still murder me within okay. seconds. Yep. So yeah, he does not he doesn't get very far with that. But with the help of Winston, Kurt finds his own Mr. Miyagi, Jian Chow, and finds the way into his training might be through the heart of Xi'an's niece, Mai Li. So this is where I think the story really starts moving, right? When he goes out to the jungle, because, of course, and finds his, like, it almost reminds me of, like, a Yoda hut, right? Where he is going to undergo training. And he only does that by doing a little grocery shopping that (laughs) leads into a little grocery fighting
1: yeah, it's like it, he's definitely doing it, like you said, Miyagi thing where he's giving him like un- at first anyways, unorthodox yeah. tasks like, oh, go get me groceries. Like, how is that training? Like, it's just like wax on, wax off type stuff. I, I just I just love I'm a big fan of Gian in this movie. He is, a, you know, by the end of the movie for me, w- with the assistance of Kiki, the dog, like I'm I'm all for, for him being, a, you know, in the realm of a, a Miyagi and Yoda.
2: Yeah, so I I like it. It makes good for good. It makes for good cinema, but like kind of impractical, like martial arts training. Because when you martial arts train, you want to spar with people of different sizes, uh-huh. use equipment, have access to I don't know a sink, you know, <laughs> and mats, and like, like it's just I find it. I find it. It's 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 a bit stereotypical, and it's like oh, you know, in America, we train in gyms, but in Thailand, the best way to learn is to train in the ruins. It's like, no, like even the... Even the Thai people know the best way to train Muay Thai is in a gym with professionals and other individuals. And yet, in this movie, they're like, Americans will like the idea that he trains in the ruins and hears the voices of the ancients. And
1: it's like, no. See, this is where you, no. you, we differ because I, I loved all this stuff. Like, it's they're in thailand they're filming like i think that adds production value from that ho- horrible opening of the movie with they're just like a black <laughs> backdrop behind them like i'm all about him training in the ruins from a from a movie perspective like it adds,
2: oh yeah from a movie perspective it's wonderful like it's said,
1: great from a practical it's perspective it's ridiculous
0: <laughs> well <laughs> i think so when we get into the training uh, once he's accepted as a student that's where the movie really kicks into high gear and before we get into that i think this is a great place for us to take our break recover ourselves and get ready for the hard work that is training for the ultimate goal of somehow Kurt facing and beating Tong Po. So we'll be back. Welcome to Behind the Studio Door, where we dig into the vibrant creative landscape of Rochester, New York. Hi, I'm Molly Darling, and along with my co-host Christian Rivera and our fabulous producer Chris Lindstrom, it's my pleasure to guide you through the dynamic world of our local creative professionals. Each episode offers a unique glimpse into the studios of those who enrich our Rochester community with their artistic vision. Join us as we explore the diversity and talent in Rochester, revealing the compelling narratives and creative journeys that exist just beyond the studio door. And we're back to Punches and Popcorn's first season, Once Upon a Time in the 80s. And we are talking tonight about Kickboxer, Jean-Claude Van Damme's 1989 classic that may have been responsible for making kickboxing really popular in the Western world. In my opinion, it's this and then Sagat from Street Fighter 2. They were kind of at the same time. But anyways, <laughs> we are not here to talk about video games yet. We are here to talk about Kickboxer, so let's get back to. But our before story. we do, but oh, yeah, okay. before, oh.
2: we, before we do before we do go back into Kickboxer, I have an announcement for all our couch potato ninjas out there. Mm-hmm. It is one Michael Huntone's birthday today, oh. and <laughs> and speaking of being old, he's forty four years old today. <laughs> so let's sing him Happy Birthday. Let's do it. One, two, three. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to, to you. To you. <laughs> Happy
0: birthday. birthday. Okay, that's enough. Right, well, that's well, good. Well, we <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you. Much appreciated. Yep. I'm, as I said, I'm a golden oldie, and that's why we're spending this this season talking about a bunch of golden oldie movies with my fellow golden oldies here, so. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Well, <laughs> let's get into Kickboxer. <laughs> Back into Kickboxer. So when we left off, our hero, Kurt, Jean-Claude Van Damme, had found his his Yoda in Xi'an. Uh, once he's accepted as a student, Kurt begins a training program so brutal, so primitive, and so relentless that folks here in the States would gladly pay $200 a month for it. So. <laughs> Let's talk about this training cuz this is really the movie is like 60% training, 20% fighting, 10% dancing and nonsense.
1: It's weird too because so, the middle of this movie, the second act is a training montage. So like usually a, a montage right. where you expect it to be tight in a few minutes to explain to us uh, a hero has is ready to fight. This is like 40 minutes of him like, you know, in the jungles with his trainer like it it okay? So first of all, I love it, but it it's really unorthodox.
2: Yeah, it's very long and stretched out. Yeah, I, I think what they it's <laughs> like Jean what,
0: Claude's groin.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I feel like I feel like they did this for two reasons. One, the they wanted to stuff all the. So I feel like this is this movie's bookended by stakes. So in the beginning, tragic shit happened. in the end tragic intense shit happens but Mm -hmm. in the middle they're like we're gonna give you a break which which makes the film a little tonally inconsistent to Mm me it goes from being your brother got his spine broken which arguably (laughs) like if my brother got his spine broken that would be one of the worst days of my life Mm -hmm. (laughs) then you have this kind of fun training scene where he meets the cute girl he learns from this fun quirky Thai guy yeah he dances and then at the end of the movie like the shit hits the fan again Mm -hmm. like even before the fight again it gets wild so i feel like they really stretched it out there and also i feel like they when you have those training montages like in rocky he goes from being out of shape to a beast in like two minutes couple minutes this movie i actually felt like I felt him suffer a little bit. Yeah. Which I don't get from typical training movies. Yeah. That's why. Like, Like, how many times does he hack away at that tree and he's like, ow. And it's not just like, ow, next scene, next scene. And then 20 seconds later, he's got a cast iron shin. Right. Right. No, there's parts where I'm like, I feel like you're going to go to bed and be in
1: pain. Definitely.
2: And I think that's actually kind of good. Although, like I said, there's kind of a tonal shift with it. I feel like it was that actually is one of the strengths of the movie definitely is the fact that like i felt like he i actually felt like he learned something
1: couldn't agree more yeah
0: it's it's a long journey right with many parts and it's interesting the way they shoot it so i mentioned before that from kurt's excuse me eric's first fight our first fight his only fight with tong po i got very much uh rocky four vibes and in these moments too i get rocky four vibes too where it's like the training moments where it's the american in this foreign country and he's training old school like out in nature but then we're watching the not in the same way but we see tong po at the same time like training and fighting but he's doing all this in a gym which is as you mentioned, Dom, you would think anyone that is a professional fighter would have had set up before you even went to this country. Uh, so, but instead, no, he has to go out to the sticks to find this.
2: I roll <laughs> anyway. Moving on. You literally. Eye roll. <laughs> I felt so
0: like great. the so the the two things that always stuck in my mind from these training sequences, like for years. One is the using the rope to stretch out his his split right Mm -hmm. and i felt we've talked about before like this it is not a van damme movie unless you get a split and to me it's like this is how much honestly did he enjoy this like i'm sure he was fake screaming when he was starting to do this because we know the guy has no problem doing any sort of split (laughs) I'm <laughs> like, so it almost just felt right. gratuitous and then the other thing is the tree right just kicking and I remember how many times as a kid I would go like outside and be like I'm gonna kick this tree and make my shin real tough and I mean like one like lazy kick to a tree with your shin oh yeah
1: you <laughs> it stopped are, it, Idiot, it really hurt It's no, no, funny
0: when I was that. watching this and I'm gonna get back to this later but uh, my wife kind of came into the movie late when I was watching it and she saw this part and was like why the hell is he doing that? That seems like a really bad idea. I'm like, listen, babe, you don't know that <laughs> earlier in the movie, we saw the bad guy doing the same thing to a friggin' concrete column. So if he can't handle yes. this tree, he's in trouble because Tong Po is like taking down friggin Doric columns here. So it's, yeah, it's uh, right. We get the like running with the meat attached
1: to him. Like, oh, I know. It's so great. And the Kiki the dog is a character in this movie. Like, it, what eventually happens to Kiki? So upsetting.
0: Absolutely, he's used for the stakes to get raised that we'll certainly get to. But
1: yeah, like Tom was saying, it gets dramatic again.
0: We get, you know, we get interspersed with that. We see him caring for Eric. So hey, don't forget, he has a paraplegic brother that uh, needs to be taken care of. And we kind of get these flashes of romance with Miley, uh, uh-huh. which, so I gotta say right now, I'm disappointed. Because, and tell me if I missed this, I mentioned splits as one of the key, like, these have to be in Van Damme movies every time. Mm-hmm. The other thing we usually get, which I thought was, like, something he demands in his movies, is we didn't get any butt shots in this, did we? No. I thought we would get a romance scene where we'd see Van Damme's rear. It, uh, isn't that, like, something we found with, like, Bloodsport, that he, like, fought with the director, like, I need this scene in here. I need my where, butt Because girls will look my,
1: like my butt. Yeah, maybe he didn't have the power yet to get a butt shot in every <laughs> film. He he built towards that.
0: Only thing missing from this movie, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a true fault of the film.
0: What isn't missing, though, is what we discover is Xi'an's secret weapon, the final chamber in his training program, in a moment that surely burned itself into the memory of anyone who has ever seen any of this movie that's right. I'm talking about the dance scene. Is he wearing
2: like is he wearing a uh, sleeveless undershirt that has been fit with suspenders? <laughs> like I'm not sure what's going on. Yes, this is like pressure. he's got he's got khakis yeah. and essentially a black like a black khakis. singlet style shirt. Never seen this garment before since. Like, it seems like something from a from a Judas Priest concert. Oh. Like, what is happening?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I, I mentioned that Sarah came in partway through. You know, I was watching this during the day, and she had just come home from work, and she walked in, I'm on this scene, and she's like, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> Which, I mean, even, I think the first time you see this movie, even if you have sat through the entire movie, when you get to the the dance scene, I think we all asked ourselves for a moment, what the hell am I watching? And I I was right. I was very fascinated by the tank top. I'm like, what is this thing? And Sarah's response was, oh, this is, I don't know, it's 80s fashion. Like, that's just 80s style, I guess. I mean, those moves were great, right? Jean-Claude
2: Van Damme is an interesting, like, he's interesting. Because, like, when I think of um, 80s heroes, I think about them being very um like uh, very much appealing to other men like Arnold. Yep. He's a house.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Like
2: women might say, "Oh, he's too muscly," and I might say, "I don't care." <laughs> you know, cuz like I like his body is a weapon and a work of art to me as a young man. Like, "Wow, yeah, you know, he's imposing, he's scary." There's something about Jean-Claude Van Damme where he's pretty. And he and it's not it's not just like he's objectively a good-looking man cuz he is, objectively very good-looking, but he plays up the fact that he's pretty. Yeah, and his movies play that absolutely. up a lot. And I feel like I feel like that's not something you get with Stallone, Arnold, or any of those other guys. Right, They're just right. like if a woman finds you attractive, great. You you it's business time. You got to kill people. That's right. what you're here for. Uh-huh. And you're built to do that. Jean-Claude Van Damme is built He's also built for fun, apparently, because that's what his
0: movies seem to.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, the what he's communicating to us,
0: right? I mean, it's it. So, so in theory, he's drunk, he's dancing, and he's beating the hell out of all Freddie Lee's guys. I, I don't think we've talked about Freddie Lee at all. So we find you know through all the training and stuff, the kind of the man behind the the meat curtain that is Tong Po is Freddie Lee, this uh, underworld boss, and. Uh, so he's beating up a bunch of these guys. Also, again, going back to the Rocky Four vibes, the song that is playing in the bar at that time, or whatever, again, it's another Stan Bush classic. We get a lot of Stan Bush awesome, awesome eighties action movie songs, right? And this one sounds a lot, a lot like Living in America from yeah. Rocky Four. That, like there's is not right, that which James Brown yeah. but I'm like yeah. but the vibes very much feel it sounds a lot like living in America I, obviously loot used in a different place in the story but uh, we get that so we have had in a few different movies drunk fights uh, obviously drunken master we had a great one that we talked about in the ninja Shadow of a tear tear. <laughs> with scott atkins <laughs> where does this drunk fight land that's
2: crack that's not drunk that's cr- well no he has a drunk he fight a and drunk, he has a crack fight he's got a,
0: he's got, <laughs> he's got two yeah. yeah i forgot about the crack fight <laughs> that's another thing oh we should have talked about that with miami though i guess there wasn't anybody in miami connection who fought and did coke um anyways <laughs> do you think this holds up in the other drunk fights we've seen
1: <laughs> it's fine it's serviceable yeah, yeah. And I love it that yeah. it's part of his training. It's part of Jen's training for him. Like it's not just like he had a bad night and got drunk, like we saw in Shadow of a Tear, like or Tear. Right. Like this is uh <laughs> this is just unorthodox training brought to you by Jean. What one more thing about Jean, which I love, is like if we think about Karate Kid and Miyagi, and you know he was training Daniel, uh, Danielson, uh, with self defense. Like he's like, okay, I'm going right. to train you so you can protect yourself. In this, like Van Dam shows up to Jen's door. And and he's like, I got to get revenge for my brother. I, I need to. And Jen's like, Oh, OK, like he like I just love that there's no kind of like spiritual like it's all about like, oh, I will train you to to, to beat this man. Like, I, I just I think it's kind of charming in a, in a not too great a storytelling way, because you don't really see that you want to see like the Zen master who's like calm, like, so I, I'm, right. you know. I
2: think, and he is calm. He is calm. Yeah, he is. and he is quirky. Yeah. and he does like to drink. He's Miyagi. I'm. Yeah. You know what? I didn't realize it watching it, but you guys have shown me. Yeah. I'm like,
1: he's oh, really he's Miyagi. Miyagi. Yeah.
2: This movie's kind of derivative, oh, yeah. and I didn't realize it watching it. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Well, 100%. and we and we see after the fight, like that's part of the the motivation here for this bar fight, right? Is that he wants to impress Freddie Lee, which he does. So we finally get to see Kurt put all this training to work and get into the ring. Um, so we see him in the ring. He makes pretty quick work of that guy. Did you guys feel like it showed he learned something from all of this jungle work? I mean, he learned how to fight better. He won.
2: Like, that's it. He's still like, there's no real character development to to Jean-Claude Van Damme in this movie. And that's actually, actually, I read, um, um, uh, Roger Ebert was, he used to talk about revenge movies. And one of the problems with revenge movies is they develop the character, but the character doesn't progress. So like the yeah. character, once the tragedy happens to cause the revenge theme to move forward, the character doesn't learn much because if they did, it would it would you know sidetrack the plot. right? And I feel like in this movie, he's like, he, once his brother's hurt, he's like, "I want Tong Po, I want Tong Po, I want Tong Po, I want Tong Po." And in this he gets into a fight and he's like, "I won. I want Tong Po, and it's just like okay.
1: Yeah, even his brother eventually shows up and is like, "You please don't do this. He look what he did right, to me." Right. And Van Dam's he's like, "Why are you doing this?" And Van Dam's like, "I I just want to do it." <laughs> it's
0: like, right, right, okay. right. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. Don. It's really hard to do uh character development in a revenge story. I think to me, the times where it's done well is something like the Searchers, where the you know where the person person on that path to vengeance. Basically becomes an object of the story, and that the development really happens all around him, and that's where you see like the people reacting. But uh, this isn't about that. This is about ass kicking and kickboxing, right? right. Not good and yeah. so finally, after he bests Freddie Lee's meat fodder, uh, Kurt gets what he asked for: a match with Tong Po, announced in the ancient way to be fought in the ancient way. So. Yes, ancient yes, ancient
2: and the fact that they're wearing loincloths, and the fact that they have ropes. I mean, I didn't do a lot of research on this, but I'm pretty sure the glass ham thing
1: I don't know about that. <laughs>
0: That's so great. How ancient is glass?
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the science segment. Wait for that
2: oh man i've i seriously considered talking about glass for the science <laughs> sake i'm not doing that but oh. <laughs> glass is glass is basically sand that's been melted right and and, and hardened so i mean old but not super old <laughs> i don't know they could have used rocks back in the right. day like you if you have resin and
0: you find anything hard you can do this but right it's yeah and again we aren't talking this isn't america where this is happening in America, like this country so young that like the, o- the oldest parts of our history, we can basically go back like three or four generations and know, like know somebody that existed at that time. So uh, like, that's not ancient. That's what I think of like glass. It's like that recent, but we are in a country where it very specifically shows you these ancient temples and even like ancient ghosts, and stuff in here and yeah. it's kind of stereotypical
2: oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry i'm sorry I like, like come on Let, let's you know it's like we have like that's that's one of the things and and that that is aged kind of poorly Definitely. in this movie yeah. is the fact that you know it, it we when when we watch an american going off to the east mm-hmm. i feel like it's always like they always play up the ancient vibe and ignore the fact that these are modern people yes. in a modern time mm-hmm. with modern sensibilities and modern technology. And they're like, "No, nah, that shit sucks. <laughs> we got to do it the ancient right, way because right, right. they did right. it better." You're totally. Right. Like, but right. you're when it comes to a movie about Europeans or Americans or Westerners, it's always like modern times are good, and here's why, right. and right. we've advanced so much, and yada yada yada. Yep. But you know, it, it's it's. It there's a, probably a name for it because it happens so often. But it's you know it's
0: of course they have to fight in the ancient ways because why you know why would anyone do that? And even the thing like <laughs> so when the messenger comes and Miley is like he's wearing the traditional robes of a messenger sent to bring news of a fight. I'm like is this a thing? Like these are your I'm going to announce a fight robes. Like <laughs> what? The- some, if somebody knows, like, knows about, like, Thai history and, like, Muay Thai history, if there's any credibility to any of this, please let us know. Because it felt to me, again, I feel like, seriously, dipping your dipping your hands in friggin' Sunday toppings is just about <laughs> as ancient as the glass. And it probably might have helped the fight go longer, right? Like, you're fighting and all of a sudden, boom, got a mouthful of m ms extra energy <laughs> and i mean maybe <laughs> freddie lee should have thought of that because we find out soon that freddie lee wants this fight to go go the distance so I maybe that would have helped this is where the movie gets dark this is where like i said uh, real dark like right there's a real tonal shift oh, well, yes, that happens just before that fight can happen we get to learn of just how evil tong po and the man pulling his strings freddie lee are wow mm. This, so this is the question. I mentioned it earlier. And I want to ask you guys, seeing what we see in these moments before the fight, is Tong Po and Freddie Lee, because it's hard to tell who's really like making each thing happen. Is he or they the most evil villain we've ever seen in one of our movies?
2: Not in a good way. Yes, but not in a good way. Like, like, you know chung lee is is willing to kill someone you know and laugh and sneer and snicker but like i'm going to say this there's no levity in sexual assault no like no, there's levity no. there's le- there's levity in there's levity in murder like there's plenty of black comedies where people get injured hurt murdered all kinds of violence but like i i kind of draw the line you i'm not saying you can't do it in a movie but it's, there's no levity. No, It's right. serious. Yeah. And the fact that you have this dance scene and you have this levity and you have romance and all this stuff, and then all of a sudden that happened, mm-hmm. I feel like it's in a little poor taste. Yeah. And then also later yeah. on, they like when you're like, oh, did it actually happen like that? Maybe he just slapped her around a little bit. And then, and then she's like, nope. She, confirms, she it confirms it using words. Right, right. And I'm just like, yeah oh it's rough and you know what i think that kind of sucks because i want like my wife to watch these movies with me i want right. women to watch right. these movies with me and i feel like very few women would watch this movie and be like nah, yeah, it's a great that's a great plot point i think you should have kept it like no it's
0: yeah that's a that's a really hard turn right yeah, yeah. It's, that's really uncomfortable you know like you get that then you get the one, I I thought at first they made it seem like they killed his dog. Like here we go again, another freaking. At least uh, the dog does survive, but is clearly her. Point
1: that they're and like she's they still alive.
0: like yeah. all this stuff happens, and I'm like, holy crap! This is again not just sneer. Like this is legit evil, evil.
1: Like and they get they get Kiki to the hospital faster than they get his brother Eric to the hospital, <laughs> which I appreciate.
0: That's an excellent point. Well, yeah. Uh, Kiki's a Thai dog, so, yeah. <laughs> so that, the the advantage there is uh, Kiki and Xi'an actually know where the hospital is, unlike <laughs> Eric. I'd
2: also like to bring up that they took the dog to the hospital, but Miley, after being assaulted, just shows up and cries and that's it yeah so and she can't even tell you know him. in movies that's the only consequence she can't even stuff. tell her right.
1: she's worried it's gonna you know impact kurt negatively so she's got to hide this horrible assault she went through like it's, it's real sketchy like you said like yeah America. i mean you unfortunately
0: I, mean? I feel like in reality when that thing happens a lot it's probably not uncommon really? that someone that's doesn't true. go to the hospital and that You're because right. society sucks and yeah. And right, so that makes it all the more awful that it's used as a plot point here. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it, it, I think no. it was in bad taste. Gross, gross. I'm, I'm... So we have to suffer through that, and then we get the moment we're waiting for. When our hero, Kurt nuk Kao gets to right all wrongs, oh, yes. we get the fight. So yeah, he also has this, which is, again, very stereotypical in any of these ty- types of movies where an American uh, or American-ish I guess that's what I would call Van Dam. White guy. You can it, say yeah. it. Oh white it's, guy. Well yeah, that's I was going to say is nickname which means white warrior, white right? Warrior. Like it's like uh what is it? Bucky in Infinity War or wherever or uh, when he goes to Wakanda and he's the White Wolf, it's just like You that. know, it, this is his thing, right? So we yeah. finally get this fight and I do kind of like that. While this fight is going on, we get this side scene, yes, this side sequence of the rescue, and we get to see uh, also derivative, but I thought was really cool. Taylor finally go like full Rambo with like the the M sixteen with the grenade launcher uh, with Xi'an, going in and rescuing Eric. So yeah,
1: chopping on a cigar while he's using his you know, machine gun. It's like, wow, <laughs> he is all in. right. I
0: mean, just that scene where you get like, they bust down the door or he busts down the door and it's just like lit from behind where he's yeah. just right. Standing there with the machine gun to the side and, like
1: firing into a building with uh, a few people he cares for too, which is great too. Like how does he know where to shoot through a building and miss uh, Jean and, and uh, Eric? <laughs> That's,
0: <laughs> That's the great. magic of movie bullets. That's right. <laughs> but, yeah. We get the, we get the fight. We get we get a couple good nut shots in there. Oh, all yeah. the things that we really look for.
2: Yeah, and and like what I find what what's and <laughs> basically put Jean Claude has been trained so well that the only way that Tong Po can win is if they fix the fight with all of these things. Right. <laughs> and then once his brother is uh once his brother's back, you know, yeah. and he's like. All right, I'm gonna go ham here, exactly. and he just beats the beats the piss out of yeah. him. Which, <laughs> right, right. Which is, you know, it's awesome. Like, like, I don't believe Muay Thai has any jump spinning kicks. They have like <laughs> Superman punches, which is the extent of a jump. But also, it's like Jean Claude Muay Thai. That's essentially right, what it right, was. Right. Yeah. What was going yeah. on? A lot of fluff, and it's fun to watch. You get to see him go. Yeah,
0: right. we get the Jean. Yeah. This is when we get all the things we want from a Jean Claude movie: the face. Right. The jumping, flying, spinning kicks that he's so good at. Right. Like he's great at this stuff. And there's just there's that change in the score too. once his brother comes that like it's just it's it's the music that I could only describe as Jean-Claude's about to win the fight music that is like just like in the fight with uh, Chong Li that like once they get into that sequence and it like picks up and it's lighter. You're like, oh, he's about to kick his ass and it's about to be over.
1: Mm -hmm. and And it the first movie where he is choreographing the fight scenes too so oh that's right yeah yeah, it's kind of interesting where he's sort of starting to have a little power uh in the movie world and it's like okay i also want to do the you know choreography of this fight which is why you're perfect saying it's van damme muay thai because it's it's his take on it for sure
0: so we get to the end Uh, we get a great stan bush song never surrender and uh just one thing i want to comment on. In the credits, Tong Po is credited as himself. himself. Now we know it's not. It's Michael Kesey who was in, he was in Bloodsport. I think, wasn't he a kickboxer in Bloodsport?
1: Yeah, he was one of the uh, opponents.
0: Yeah, I'd also
2: like to mention you probably didn't recognize Tong Po in Bloodsport because it looks to me like in Kickboxer, he has Asia face on. They gave oh him
1: God. Asia face. He's, that is confirmed. Because he is not Asian. Yeah, he, mean, he's he's not, he's, yeah. from he's, he's, and, you know, he's Moroccan. Yeah.
2: He's Moroccan. Yeah. He's 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 just as far in his ancestry <laughs> from Southeast Asia as we are. Yeah. A bunch those, of oh white guys, in case anyone hasn't <laughs> yeah, figured they, that out. Oh yeah, those are yeah, he they made him up 100%. to look Asian. Oh my God. They couldn't find a big Asian guy. No. They used him. Yeah. So that's why, because I remember, I was like, because I remember when we did the Bloodsport thing all that while ago, I looked up and I'm like, oh, this is the villain from Bloodsport. Why doesn't he look Yeah. so... Uh, yeah. Mm, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's why.
0: And I believe that he was in... He was So I know his brother was in Lionheart that we talked about. His brother is Abdel Kesey, who was the bad guy, the main bad guy in uh, Lionheart. Okay. But he, I believe he was one of the, like, so Moroccan soldiers in the beginning or wherever it was the like desert country where Jean-Claude's character is in the French foreign legion he's one of the guys guys. there yeah so Mm -hmm. uh, yeah I didn't know Jay I was gonna ask if you had any idea why he's credited as Tong Po as himself and I wonder if it's just because even then they realized like yeah we we made our bad villain a a bad yellow face
1: like yeah I I couldn't uh figure that out either but maybe it was to hopefully you're potentially protect them from that but when you're a kid yeah. and you see tong po as himself you're, you're pretty stoked but then right, you grow right. up and you're like
2: oh, actually i it. distinctly i distinctly remember watching this movie as you know a, a, as, a as a young man yeah, and being like huh yeah so this character is a so keep my no internet right i'm like okay so they my assumption uh-huh. was that they found a really awesome yeah kickboxer. Yeah. Yeah, hired him to play a kickboxer, yeah, right? And made him use his real name uh-huh. and made him a despicable, despicable <laughs> right. man. And I'm like, why would you agree to that? Why would you agree <laughs> right. to play yourself and be literally not, not kind of not, not like a mustache twirling villain, like a literal. Like terrible human being. I was like, this is an interesting choice. Do you want to be famous that much that you're willing to tarnish your name? Clearly, I was wrong, but...
1: I didn't know any better. I thought the same thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, same thing. I'm like, oh, he must be someone big in the kickboxing world, and I just don't know. Uh And the irony is the
2: brother that got his back broken was actually all that. Right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, well, Dom, I don't know if it's either the <laughs> the makeup or the broken glass or the spinal <laughs> injuries, but I, I think this is a great time for us to roll into our science segment, and I cannot wait to hear what you have for us today. With science. Yes, science. Science. It's not rocket science. Just say yes and we'll move on. Science. You know actually.
2: All right, so there's a couple things I could have done. We talked about glass. I mean, I could do that, I guess. But uh, and uh, maybe that bird, you know, the the, the ghost bird, which is uh, a Brahminy kite. It's it's a it's a eagle ish kind of bird anyway uh, so i'm doing paraplegia and i'm not gonna be a downer and talk about why you know too much about what happens but i do want to talk about like the research involved in correcting it and i truly feel that in our maybe not in our lifetime but in our kids lifetime they will be able to correct this i really truly feel it anyway so just a little background on um on how, you know, how your nervous system works. you got a central nervous system and a peripheral nervous system. When you break your, when you, when you sever your spinal cord, that's part of your central nervous system. And you have these long cells that run up and down them called neurons. Now, when I say long, I don't mean long for cells. I mean actually long. They can be several feet long, in fact, and they run up and down. Another thing about neurons is they don't, is, is you can't make more of them after you're like an embryo. So you grow the neurons you're gonna have for your life and by the time you're like, you know, like like maybe a couple years old, that's done. The one neurons you have are the neurons you have for the rest of your life. So what happens in your peripheral nervous system, if you cut a, a neuron in a nerve it can grow back. It's actually called something called wallerian degeneration. It's a very interesting process. I'm not gonna bog you down. But in the central nervous system, which of course is your spinal cord and your brain, what happens is once those gets neurons get severed, they get replaced by scar tissue, which we call glial scarring, and that's it. And that's one of the reasons why you don't heal up and it's a permanent it's a permanent thing so when you sever your spinal cord you're severing what's called the axons of those neurons and then the cells associated with them which are called neuroglial cells will create scar and then it's done and that's the reason why people with severed spinal cords even they break their neck or they break their back and it's done for the rest of their life so that's why it happens and that's why it's permanent at least at this point and that's it. And keep in mind, like you have signals going up and signals going down your spinal cord. So if the neurons are severed, it's both sensory neurons going up and motor neurons going down, which is the reason why you lose feeling and you lose motor function. Now, research into kind of fixing this up. I mean, clearly there's a lot of research into this because it's, you know, it, it's we haven't, you know, it, it's it's a permanent debilitating injury so uh, there's a couple approaches that they take and they're actually really interesting so the 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 first approach is when they discovered that glial scarring occurs they figured all right so we need to prevent the scarring and if we prevent the scarring then we can go from there so basically there's a lot of approaches that take um that basically anti-inflammatory approaches so you target the the proteins that create the scars you target the proteins that cause the cells to die and the cells that are programmed to die you kind of stop that programming you use local hypothermia so you literally like get the cells really cold so that slows it down you use steroidal anti-inflammatories to slow that process but that hasn't really gone very far and you can't do that for a long time so it's kind of a stopgap. The other approach is, can you try to get the cells to regenerate as in grow back? And that's called neuroregeneration. And what happens is interesting because when you sever your spinal cord, your central nervous system purposefully produces proteins that impede regrowth. We don't know why they just do it. And so maybe if we inhibit them, this'll work. Still haven't made a lot of progress there. Another other thing that they're doing is stem cells. Maybe you can grow, new cells in there and that's what stem cells are stem cells are cells that are undifferentiated and what happens is if you put them in a part of the body or you know in a test tube or wherever you want and you introduce cell signals what will happen is those stem cells will differentiate into whatever you want so cartilage bone skin whatever you want so if you put stem cells in the spi- severed spinal cord maybe you can get them to grow back into functioning neurons or something some equivalent of that We're still working on that one too. It's held some progress, but we haven't really been able to do it uh, all that much. So where I noticed research is starting to go is it's starting to go away from having, letting the body heal itself or regrow to introducing artificial components. And from what little I know about this, I feel like artificial things are the way this is going to move forward. So one of the things is you can inject nanofibers into the injury site and what happens is these nanofibers will vibrate and the cells adjacent to these vibrating fibers will will like naturally release repair signals and maybe they can get the spinal cord to heal that way. So you have these artificial fibers in there that cause the cells from instead of scarring to actually start to regenerate. Another thing you can do is create exoskeletons for people which like sounds really cool but basically put you wear some sort of like suit or rig or whatever and what you can do is you can ha- you can stimulate you can tell the exoskeleton either directly with your brain or use some sort of controls to send signals to the muscles that would norm that the, the spinal cord would normally send them to and then that you use them so basically you would use a machine or an exoskeleton to bypass your central nervous system which is pretty cool if you ask me but one of the issues is, is the central nervous system and the whole nervous system in general is very very refined and these machines aren't so actually what happens is they tend to fatigue the muscles because you don't have that degree of finesse so your muscles get real tired real fast but if none of these other things work you can always just create exosuits and they would function just fine but I think the most interesting one are electrode spinal cord implants so what they do is at the at the injury site they put an implant in and what it does is when you send the signal down the spinal cord what will happen is it'll stop but the electrode will amplify the signal and send it through either other neurons or somehow connect them where they're not connected anymore and then the signal will go down and this one is the one that's made the most progress and in fact they found they've actually done research on people in europe that have had fully severed spinal cords or at least partially severed spinal cords and they've gotten them to partially walk again so this has actually worked not perfectly but eventually, when people get debilitating injuries such as a severed spinal cord or a broken neck, what can happen is they might be rushed to the hospital, and before glial scarring kicks in, they'll put in electrodes, and boom, you'll be able to walk again. So I think this is really cool, really fascinating, and I, I really do think in, in the next 50 years, you know, the fact that people who have broken necks and broken spines couldn't walk will be will we'll, we'll be like polio it'll be one of those things like could you believe that happened i think it's wild
0: all right excellent science segment as always dr dom loved it dr dom po. uh hey <laughs> so kickboxer uh, i think where is this streaming now it's uh if people want to watch this now i think is it's it on Tubi,
1: and 2B, it is okay. on roku uh, the roku channel for free you can watch it free ah, yes. on those locations
0: Yes. Yes. So go stream it. And uh, physical media, do we have any good versions? I have a DVD that's super old. Is there any that, honestly, the quality kind of sucks? Is there any good versions
1: of it out now? I guess there's actually a few different edits out there of the film as well. Um, Apparently, like, the... What people say or fans say is like the worst version. I mean, we're talking a few minutes less is what's available now. What what it was actually on your DVD. It was released by Lionsgate Films on Blu-ray in 2009. Bare Bones it doesn't look that great. And also there's no special features, which really breaks Nothing. my heart. because yeah. This is like a movie I, I kind of want to know more about, but it, it's tough yes. to find information on it like it's a bit of a bummer so maybe at some point we're going to get like a cool you know special edition with commentary and in interviews right. But, but right now it's, it's pretty sparse we just have a you know a 15 year old uh, blu-ray and you know even i looked in um you know blu-rays or even you know 4k like across the, across the seas and there's really right. nothing you know in terms of that has any type of special features, like even Bloodsport. Now there's a uh, there's yeah. a pretty great edition, um, I think, from Germany, which has a commentary really? stuff that we don't have on our Region A American disc. So I'm hoping we get something like that for Kickboxer.
0: Yeah, I thought I saw Jay isn't uh, maybe in March or something sometime this spring. I believe I saw Walmart is putting out, or at least it's a Walmart exclusive. Somebody's yeah. doing a steel book of it. So yeah. I haven't been able to see anything about any details, whether it's like what version it has, whether it has any special features or not. All it I've seen be, is on.
1: Yeah, it seems to be just a, what we already have. Like there's no nothing special it's about just it in a terms cool of special book. features. Uh, exactly right. They're just repackaging. Yeah. Why? It's oh. a bit of a bummer.
0: You know what? Someday, someday, yeah. uh, if we are big and have swing in the <laughs> be martial nice. arts physical disc world, yes. that will be our mission. We are going to get background info special edition information for the jean claude movies they're needed so definitely Jean claude if you're listening <laughs> you, uh, call us we'll help out with this uh all right so <laughs> jay i think that's a wrap for us yep. to all our listeners thank you for tuning in as we kicked off our first season once upon a time in the 80s We hope you're as excited as we are for all the fun times ahead with 80s classics. Uh, To Keep up to date on the new season. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, X, Instagram, threads, TikTok, and Facebook, at Punches and Popcorn. And for even more fun, make sure you check out our partner shows on the Lunchador Podcast Network that just went through a major launch. Uh, Lots of exciting stuff happening on the network. And we're honored to be a part of this big launch that's happened. Make sure you give a listen to our partner shows on the network like Food About Town, Behind the Glass, the Level Up podcast, Behind the Studio Door, Mind of Magnus, and of course, the pod that made us, our fam, the Anomaly Film Festival podcast. So until next time, remember.
2: Hey. We're family. Let's kick some ass.
0: Come on.
1: Good night. Good night
0: This has been a presentation of the Luncher or Podcast network.